Hello, and welcome to another episode of Areas of Interest. This is the podcast about undergraduate stories, and I'm your host, Ariel. Today, I'm going to be talking to Sophie Payne. She got her undergraduate degree in international affairs from Florida State University. If you want to skip ahead to the actual conversation where we talk more about Sophie's time in college, you can skip ahead to about 13 minutes where we start that conversation. However, I do want to encourage you to listen to what she's doing in her own personal life. She has a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, a lot of tips to share with how to navigate your own passions and how to get there. I am going to do things a little bit differently. I decided that I am not going to review universities at the end of each episode. I just felt like my reviews were very biased and although I was giving out some information, I don't want to persuade anyone in any particular direction. I also felt that I didn't have the experience necessary to really review these colleges. I don't have a background in higher education. I can only really speak on the schools that I've gone to and a lot of my interviewees also feel the same way. So if you would like to talk about my alumni school, San Jose State University, I can talk on that because I do have experience there. If you went to Florida State University or if you went to any of the colleges from the people that I've interviewed, I would love to hear your opinion about the college. I would love to know more about your experience, even if it's about the campus and just walking around on it. I want to know what it's like. So please share your thoughts, share your feelings, and share your stories with me on Twitter at Areas O Interest. So without further ado, here's my interview with Sophie Payne. So can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing now in your career and kind of how you got into it? So what I'm doing right now is career coaching for people who are feeling really stuck in their job and they're not really sure what to do. They just know what they're doing right now. Is it really working for them? And this originally happened because I was once in this position. So I just became really compassionate towards this cause. And once I went through it, I really wanted to be able to help other people go through it too. And I find that in my career coaching, it's very transformative. It's not just about getting unstuck in your job. It's about actually improving the quality of your entire life by just using that as a as a doorway. So my career coaching is similar in some ways to life coaching, but um, I do have um, certified certifications. I do have certifications in re- reviewing resume and cover letters and all those all those technical things, but it's really the transformational aspect that I just get so excited about. Do you feel like when people reach out to you, they're kind of like in a rut in their life and they just need somebody to help kind of guide them? Do you feel more like somebody that is just trying to organize their passions and their dreams? Yeah, yeah, totally. And people could come at different places. Um, they don't need to even know what the problem is, just being open to what's possible for them. I really like to emphasize the possibilities that are available to, to people. And they could be anywhere from, I don't know what I want to do next, to I've always had this really big dream and I've never done it but I really want to do it before it's too late. 
Yeah. And and how did you get inspired into career coaching? Like, did you yourself need to rely on somebody to help you through your own situation? Or are there people out there that you look up to that you try to kind of emulate? Yeah, I would say both. Yeah. So in my in my previous career, my first one, I was an urban planner. And the aspects I liked the most out of my job were interviewing people, asking questions, organizing community engagements. So I found that the other tasks I was doing were not really inspiring me. They were kind of deflating me. And so I sought out a career counselor. I Googled career counseling Vancouver because I live in Vancouver, BC. And then this person came up, Rebecca Beaton came up. And and I had a few sessions with her and it, things just started clicking for me and not in the ways that I thought they would. I went to a career counselor slash career coach because I thought that they would give me the answer. But instead, mostly just by asking me questions, I learned that I could answer my own questions. I just needed to understand myself better. And so how many sessions did you take with, you know, your career counselor before it started clicking for you and and to the point where you started making those changes in your own personal life towards uh, going in a different direction? Like, if somebody's never done it before, I have no experience in career coaching or counseling. How many sessions does it usually take? Or how many months or weeks does it usually take? Mm, that's a really great question. Uh, it would take about, for someone who's never done anything like it before, it, it really depends on what outcome they want. It's highly dependable, but I usually recommend somewhere between three months, six months, or nine months. And six months is the average. That's how. That's about how long it took me to really get clarity and then make the moves I need to make in order to have the career that I wanted. So that would be the number of sessions. It could be anywhere from 12 to 18, I think, to not only get clarity, but make progress on and switching careers and getting into what the nitty gritty career actually is. I see. So are these like biweekly sessions that you kind of do checkups and conversations to say, okay, where are we? What can we do to make your resume better? Let's practice some interview questions. Is it things like that that you're kind of giving, getting them prepped for or like trying to prepare them for that switch? Mm, yeah, it could involve that. Totally could be reviewing resume and cover letters. And there's a bit of training that I do with clients so that they know how to write effective resume and cover letters even after the coaching is complete. And there's also things that I challenge clients to do that are outside their comfort zone, but are highly effective. And they're a bit like shortcuts to get where you want to go. But people would normally never do them, never would never do these things on their own. Things, these kind of things could be like reaching out to someone you don't know and just asking for their advice on what their career is or just being really curious about what someone else is doing because you're interested in it and you're interested in making a transition. I see. Okay. And I was kind of looking at your website a little bit, and it kind of seems like you have a very specific approach that's very like compassionate and patient. 
Is that something that sets you apart from other people or are there like a certain type of person that you typically get reaching out to you that might be a little bit more timid or somebody who's not quite confident in themselves that needs that compassion and patience? Yeah, I think the number one thing that people tell me is I want my confidence back. When someone's been in a job that they don't enjoy, maybe they, maybe they have even been receiving ill treatment they lose their confidence. And it's really important to build that back up. It takes courage to take steps into either another career or just out of a job. So I find that my approach is a bit of a integrated approach. There's some life coaches that specialize in career and they are very motivational and they are purely just asking questions. And there's some career coaches that are going to give you all the advice in the world. And I fall in between that. I really want to connect people to their intuition so that they're driving the show, but also give them the strategy and the technical know-how in order to get them where they want to go faster. I see. And do people, when they reach out to you, are they mostly in a career that they're unhappy with or are they just fresh out of college and like, okay, I don't know what career to pick? Because you kind of have a field of interest, right, that you studied, but sometimes it's hard to narrow down a specific job title. You know, it's like, for me, I went for biology, and there's a ton of job positions for biology. And so sometimes it can feel overwhelming, like, okay, which route do I go down? So do you get like a mixture? Or do you see that it's mainly people that are unhappy in the career that they're currently in, and they need a way to kind of phase out into a different one? Yeah, I find that by the time people are reaching out support, it's usually because they've already been in a job that they're not enjoying. And I do get people who are fresh out of school and very confused, but I would say it's usually less than 10% of the people I actually serve. And it's really the, the impetus for people is they're a bit disillusioned often with the job that they went into. And they know that they can't keep doing it. They just don't know what to do next. That is actually perfect timing. Because <laughs> I know when I was talking to you, I was like, I don't know if we can schedule our times together because I'm working like 54 hours a week. And it's I have hardly any available time. And I realized that I hated my job. And I was waking up in physical pain every day from the job because it's very labor intensive. And so just between you and I and the listeners, I'm quitting tomorrow. I left a note on my manager's desk saying that Monday was going to be my last day. (laughs) I mean, I put in like my two-week notice a while ago, but my two weeks is coming up. I gave my two-week notice, but it was more like a four-week notice, I guess. And I just told them I am in so much pain. Like, I just can't do another day. Like, you guys aren't helping me out. It doesn't seem like you guys even care that I'm in pain. They just kind of say, okay, we'll just take more breaks, I guess. But that's not really the solution. (laughs) So I just realized, like you said, I got into a job where it was pitched to me differently in the interview. And then when I started the job, I realized this is not what I signed up for. And so I was going to stay longer because I didn't want to leave them hanging. But at the same time, I need to put myself first and focus on my health. It was definitely an emotional, mental struggle for me because I felt like I was abandoning them. But at the same time, they could have easily abandoned me, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. What you're saying, Ariel, is something I hear a lot, actually, this idea of 
well, I don't want to displease them. I, I don't want to leave them. At the same time, it's not what they told you it would be. And you're not getting the support you need. And I'm so glad that you realize that you have to put yourself first. And that's something I always encourage my clients to do. And you did that for yourself. So, you know, I'm kind of proud of you as a career Yeah, coach. thank you. And then like tomorrow after, I'm only doing a half day tomorrow. I'm going to go to an interview and I'm on the third phase of my interview for a microbiology job. And then the day after that, I have another interview. So I actually have options now. So it's quite refreshing. But it, it's always kind of like a little bit of an awkward answer when they say, okay, well, you're employ employed now. What happened? And I just was honest with them and told them my situation. And they, they were very understanding. So I think if anyone's wondering, this is just me saying it, if anyone's wondering if it's wrong to be honest about your experience with another company, I think if you word it the right way, most people will understand and probably have been in that same position that some jobs just don't work out. You know, there's just a compatibility issue. It's not anyone's fault, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It's wonderful that you framed it that way. And that is the way to frame it in an interview with a potential new employer. You want to say something like about the compatibility. So good for you. You had a good intuition there. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've been working for quite some time now. So I've, I've done a lot of interviews, but I just, I've always noticed that if you're if you're honest and don't trash talk your your previous or current employer, it'll get received pretty well. And I think if you try to skirt or be awkward around the answer, it kind of comes up as a red flag. So it's better to just be honest and kind of prepare your honest answer so it comes out naturally, like you're not hiding something, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and people respect that you're forthright and that you can honestly talk about something that was challenging, but not in a way that makes anyone the bad guy. And not putting blame on anyone too. Because again, you know, sometimes jobs, you know, they may have pitched the the job to me and the, and the duties incorrectly, but maybe there was a misunderstanding or, you know, maybe it wasn't their fault or they didn't, they didn't mean to do it that way. It wasn't like they were trying to trap me into a job, you know? Yes. Yeah. So where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you for your services, like your, your coaching? They could find me on my website sophiepayne.com, S-O-P-H-E-E-P-A-Y-N-E.com. And also, when you go to that website, there's a link there to sign up for a complimentary intro call. So this is something that I offer anybody before deciding to work with them and before they decide to work with me, just to make sure it's a fit both ways. So I really just love going from that call and then seeing what happens. Yeah. And you're just trying to find that compatibility like we were talking earlier, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to pivot and just kind of go back to before you started doing career coaching and kind of your time in college. So if you could, can you tell me what degree you uh, received and which school you received it from? So for my undergrad, I received a degree in international affairs from Florida State University in Tallahassee, Florida. And then I went on to get a master's in urban planning at the same school, Florida State University. And so it seems like you ended up doing the urban planning for your career. Is that correct? Did you do that right out of uh, when you graduated, right out of school? I did, yes. You did. Okay. And so for the international affairs one, can you tell me a little bit about that field? Because I have no idea what that includes. <laughs> I don't know if it's an economics degree. I don't know if it's a diplomacy degree. 
Oh, that's such a good question. I find that so many people don't know what it entails, and it's really hard to picture because it does involve a lot of things. Essentially, it studies the world and the impact of politics, economics, culture on global affairs, and that's a pretty big topic, right? So within international affairs, you want to usually take a focus. Mine was development and international aid. And that's also the same reason why I ended up pivoting from that into urban planning. And what was that pivot into urban planning like that got you excited or got you passionate or interested about that in particular? It was definitely a a push-pull area. It was an international affairs, something something that I learned that was really cool but totally caught me off guard and made me think, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this, is that there was this study on the cumulative effect of, of international aid. And the effect, according to this study, was, or actually a series of studies, was that the effect was neutral and possibly negative, according to the people receiving this aid. And that was like, oh, I want to do this, but it's actually not helping people. I just thought that was so interesting. And then I didn't really know what to do after that. And to be honest, my friend said, I think you'll like urban planning. So I was like, okay, I'll apply. And it's like an intrigue. It's a very intriguing area of interest. Um, But I don't think I gave it a lot of thought. I had a full ride and I thought I would try it out. (laughs) What else is there to do? Sometimes when I feel like when I was young, I thought, oh, I'll just I'll just do it and see what happens. And what happened? <laughs> you got a job from it, right? I mean, after after you graduated with your master's, you got a job. And so like, what kind of part of urban planning were you kind of like interested or working in, I should say? Were you doing parks or building infrastructure? Yeah, my focus was on the intersection of public health and urban planning. How can the built environment improve our health at a population level? And so this could be the design of things. This could be a lot of different ways that we design the environment can help support our health or it can deter it. There's also a social justice element to how cities are organized and developed. And there's always some burden from how a city is developed when it comes to industrial locations and what what housing is going to be next to those. And well, this is kind of getting into the weeds, but I thought that I could help local governments rather than go to the international level. But I I didn't necessarily find that very, very rewarding. There's a lot of bureaucracy and the tasks I was doing typically were not very fulfilling. Yeah. And were you working specifically in Vancouver? Like, is that the, the city that you were working in? I was working in Vancouver for a while. I'm originally from Florida, so I worked in Florida And then I moved to Vancouver because it has such a rich history of urban planning. And it's a gorgeous city. It is. Yeah, in part because of the planning. And then when I got there, I just was not really finding a job that I was excited about. And that was concerning. I was a little bit worried. I was looking at all these job postings and being like, well, I'm not even excited about how this sounds. Why is that? It was... um, it took me a while to figure to accept that. It took me a while to accept that. 
Is there anything that you discovered or uncovered in that field or the, both those fields, I should say, that you found like super interesting that you just wish more people knew about? I think there's a lot there. There's a lot there that I wish people knew. And I, I want to pinpoint one. <laughs> I've also been focusing on coaching so much that I've, I've lost sight of some of those things, I think. Um, but something that I think is really interesting is when it comes to how we're planning for the future when it comes to climate change mitigation. And I wish people were more involved in that process because I find that people have a lot of climate anxiety, but they're not really aware of what we can do to help make our future a safer, more equitable place. We can also use climate change as an opportunity to make a future that we all want more than what would have been our default future if we never even had this problem of climate change. That's very true. Yeah. And I mean, there's so much going on in the conversation of climate change that it can kind of seem overwhelming when you think about it all at once, you know, Uh, especially me coming from California. There's a lot of you know, fires, um, that was like a big thing. And now, you know, in in my own education, like learning about how uh, indigenous knowledge is being used again, to try to mitigate the the fires in California and trying to uh, control them more and also bring back some of that cultural knowledge and that spiritual knowledge. And so, you know, it, it's, it can get very specific if you want it to, but when you start to think about it as a whole, sometimes it can seem overwhelming. Like you're just trying to bite too much off at once. And so I think if some people were to like kind of think about their own interests, you know, in their life and just focus on that one thing, you know, um, I think a lot more solutions and innovations can happen, but I think sometimes people just kind of don't see the, you know, sometimes they say you don't see uh, the forest among the trees, but I think it's kind of the opposite. You're seeing too much of the forest and not any of the trees that are in the forest. That's so true. (laughs) And so I think a lot of people sometimes get overwhelmed. And so if you just kind of pick one thing that you're really passionate about and just do that one thing, you don't have to do everything. You don't have to be a vegetarian and only, you know, buy from certain stores. And, you know, I was kind of like that when I was younger. And it made me so miserable because I was worried so much about every single action that I did. And it just caused my brain too much exhaustion. But I, I scaled back and I was like, okay, well, I can try to be a vegetarian, you know, the most that I can. And that's my thing right now. <laughs> and that's about all I can do. <laughs> I'm sorry. I went on a tangent there for a second. No, I think it's totally related. I understand what you mean with the overwhelm that comes when you think about the big issues like climate change and how can we, and then the bigger question is how can we shape a future that we all want and want to thrive in? And what you said is perfect. Like find what is meaningful to you, find your passion and the world will benefit from that. And that's, that's something that I try to help people with. I get the most excited when people have a passion, they have a goal, because it's all interrelated. The, the more we lean into our passions and the difference we want to make in the world, the better we'll all be. Yeah, definitely. I, 
Yeah, 100% agree. So going back before the degree, uh, what got you into international affairs? Like, is that something that you discovered in high school? Or is that something that you found out about once you went into college? Yeah, it's something I found about in high school. I was really interested in this idea of making a big difference in the world, making a big positive difference. And I wasn't sure what that was. So something like international affairs appealed to me. I thought I could be a voice for people. I could be some in some kind of diplomatic position. I could work in an organization that was helping people. And I, I oscillated between all different kinds of focuses. I remember one time focusing on anti-human trafficking. I was focusing on children's rights. There's things I kind of went between, but um, it was it was a fun degree. It was great. I traveled also as a result, which was appealing to me in the in the degree. Work and travel is how I saw my life. And but coming back to that study, it kind of knocked me off my feet. I didn't want to make it a career if the effect was cumulatively negative. Yeah. What kind of places did you get to travel to? I'm just curious. Yeah. So I went to Nepal, Jamaica, Dominican Republic, and Austria, Hungary. And I think that's it. I think that was that was like my during my four years. And I'm pretty happy that I was able to do all those things. I had that opportunity. Were you required to know more than like two languages? Yeah, my language is French. And I've totally lost my French by now. It's been about 12 years plus or something like that. So if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. I mean, that's a saying for a reason. It sure is. Yeah, I took like uh, three, I think I took two years of Spanish in high school, another two, no, another three years in college. And I also took two years of American Sign Language and I can't even order food at a Mexican restaurant, nor can I sign to anyone anymore. (laughs) I had good intentions, but like, I just don't ever talk to anyone in those languages. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And when when you're living in North America, you just don't have as much of an opportunity as when you're living in Europe. It's such a more of a mixture of people and cultures that you interact with every day. So your experience is very typical. I don't know what your experience was there. You probably relied a lot on your French that you knew. But for me, as soon as they caught wind that I was American, they defaulted to English. And so I was like, darn it, I wanted to practice. (laughs) But they don't have the time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, you're going to stumble a little bit too. So they think maybe they'll make it easier for you and get to practice their English. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. Okay, so they wanted to practice their English with me and I wanted to practice French with them. So like, I would kind of ask like, you know, in terms of pronunciation or vocabulary, but when it was conversational, it was mostly English. I think there was only one time when we took an Uber where he didn't speak any English. So what were some difficult things about just the college experience in general for you? It can be at the undergrad level and or the master's level, but were there any difficult classes that you took that you just thought, wow, this is really hard. I don't know if I'm going to make it through. Or was there any financial stress or burdens that you had to go through? Mm -hmm. There were classes that I remember being difficult and they were usually difficult because the professor was a researcher first and professor second. So 
My university was very research focused, so we didn't always have the best instructors, and um, but great researchers. I mean, groundbreaking work, but they don't always correlate to being a good teacher. And so there are universities out like like that. Um, so it's good whenever you go to university to see, is it more research focused? Is it more teaching focused? I had great teachers, but some of the classes were um, not felt well organized or not prioritized by the instructor. So sometimes that was difficult. And then I also remember some diff the difficulties with financial issues. The financial issues were that I was putting myself through school and I was, I was, um, the way I put myself through school was mostly grants and I was able to earn a scholarship. I took care of most things and as long as I kept my grades up. So that was a, a stressor and also a motivator. Was it that if you, if you didn't do well in your classes, you would get the scholarship or the grant uh, rescinded? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. So I usually made straight A's throughout college, even my master's, because I applied for and was granted certain scholarships and, and grants. So that's how that always worked. And then I made some extra money by making balloon animals, of all things. <laughs> really? I just, I ran into somebody who was doing that at a restaurant. And I used to work at a restaurant where we had balloon, I don't know what the technical term is what is it balloon artist balloon artist yes I didn't have to get I had to get trained I don't know what they're doing these days but no when I when I was working at a restaurant they were like oh yeah no I went to clown school and I had my certification so no I was very scrappy and just went on YouTube learned how to make a few things and went from there oh my gosh that's funny <laughs> so I'm I this is going to be a total detour question but what's the craziest thing you've made with balloons Oh, it was probably a spaceship landing on the moon with an oh, alien inside. Oh, made wow. A group hat. It was a hat with like six people attached to it. Oh, my gosh. And did somebody request that or was that just something that you were like, I, I really need to do this and I have the, the tools and the necessary? Yeah, good question. I think it was co-created. I think it was a little bit of their idea, a little bit of my idea, and we just made it happen. That's such a cool skill to have. Oh, my gosh. Just don't tell anybody at a party because then you're never going to actually get to relax. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Yes. Only very few select people these days know that I have that skill. Yeah. There's two rules in life. Don't tell somebody you have a truck and don't tell somebody you know how to make balloon art. <laughs> That's so true. Those are two <laughs> great rules. I feel like those should be enshrined somewhere. <laughs> So um, when you were going through the undergraduate level of college, did you have help from family to help you kind of navigate? Because I know when I was in high school, the thought of college was a little bit overwhelming just to do applications and, you know, uh, scholarship essays and stuff like that. And then when I got to college, it was really tough to navigate to like, what classes do I take? Did I sign up for the wrong one? Is my counselor, do they actually know what classes I'm supposed to take? So, did you have any help from family or did you mostly rely on the college system to kind of help you navigate that? Yeah, I relied on the college system and trying to cross-reference with friends. <laughs> I see. Okay. And like try to ask like, okay, which professors did you guys take? Which ones were easy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was um, 
it was definitely that my my parents were not really too involved they're just like oh you'll go and you'll be fine but you'll really, figure it out <laughs> yeah I did figure it out but like you said it can be daunting it's nice to have some support that's for sure yeah I had the nightmare of transferring in to a university and going to like a community college and if you stay in one district in the community college it's fine but what I did was I ended up transferring districts. So I kind of had a nightmare of navigating like, okay, this class that I took at this district now isn't uh, transferable to the university I want to go to because my husband ended up getting a job in a different city. So I had to move. So that was a nightmare in and of itself. But sometimes when you go from high school straight into a university and stay just within that university, it's so much easier to kind of figure out like what college classes you need to take. So did you, you went straight in on a grant and scholarships into no, university? No, I actually spent my first two years at a community college, but it was the same one. I didn't switch around. The The community college had a type of, it made it simple to, to transfer to other four-year universities. They tried to make it as simple as possible. But the transfer, it's always like kind of difficult because some will count, some will not. And I feel you there. Yeah, I definitely had a similar experience. Yeah. So like I, you know, like, for example, I needed a statistics class and I signed up for elementary statistics at one community college. And they were like, oh, well, if you want to transfer to this college or uh, this university, it's not going to transfer. But if you take or intro of statistics that'll count but elementary statistics won't like it just seemed like they were the same class but just slightly different and so that's what made them different so anyways um but did your community college have like some sort of transfer program that they just had like a set roadmap that you just follow yeah more or less it wasn't completely seamless but that was something that enough people did transferring from this community college to a four year that I wasn't totally without some kind of roadmap. So I'm glad I had that. But like I said, it wasn't seamless. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, enough people had probably gone through it to work out the kinks, but still, I mean, everybody's going to have a different degree going into the university that they want to. So sometimes, you know, I, I know for me, like even when I was doing the community college level like I didn't want to just take any class to satisfy it or requirement I kind of needed to be interested in it so that was my whole thing (laughs) I think that's why I made it harder on myself was like trying to work in having it count and having myself be actually interested in the topic so yeah I mean it's important to be interested in what you're doing but sometimes the way it works out with prerequisites You have to just take some courses to get your degree. Yeah. Yeah. See, like I I needed like some sort of art class. I was like, oh, I'll take history of architecture, you know, and for some reason that counted. And I always liked architecture to some degree or varying degrees. So for me, that was (laughs) that was my my negotiation with the college. But um, are there I mean, I'm sure you have a lot of helpful tips given what you're doing now. But are there any tips at the college level that you can share based on your experience? And it, it could be anything from like living either on or off campus to sort of like how to prepare for your exit out of college into the career world. How many tips do you have? Should I <laughs> is what I should ask. <laughs> Too many. 
you know, living on or off campus, I think that's a personal choice. I think what's really important is as much as you can try and figure out what works for you and be willing to experiment and ask people what their experience was because going into it, most likely you're not going to know yourself that well because you've never been in this situation before. So being open to learning from the experience and being ready to say, hey, like living on campus, this is okay. Maybe I can try something else just as an example. And then one thing I really recommend is like going to classes and doing well, excelling academically is really important. I think that it's also just as important to work on strong friendships and relationships with professors and just really having strong relationships as much as possible throughout your four years. That's something that I think was lackluster for me at times. I I put academics at the top, but it's really important to have that. And not just for your own mental, emotional well-being, that support. I think it's also really important as you start to network outside, even actually when you're still in college, it's incredibly important to have a network and to keep it growing. And now more than ever, there are jobs that are never posted. About 60% of jobs are never even posted. So in order to know about those jobs, you need to have a pretty extensive, strong network. And not to mention the 40% that are posted, you're getting like hundreds of people that are also putting in their application. And you said something earlier in your coaching that I think is really kind of like drives this point home of networking. You were telling some of your clients to go and talk to strangers and ask them about their career. And that is networking, just showing an interest in other people you can find out a lot of information that may not be super perfectly directly related to your career, but there isn't to say, that's not to say that like you can't find something that is relatable in some way, shape or form. Yeah, that's so valuable. And yeah, even circling back to the 40% of jobs that are posted, sometimes those have internal candidates and often the internal candidates, not always, but often they're going to get the job. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they're going to take them over somebody else that's external from the company or from the organization just to give, you know, the other person priority. I was told because I wanted to work for the Department of Fish and Wildlife, I was told just get any job in a government agency and try to laterally transfer because that's actually sometimes easier because people within the government jobs tend to get the the first pick, you know. So if you're just an employee somewhere in the government realm, whether it be federal or state, um, sometimes that can be your foot in the door. Yeah, that's actually very true. Yeah. And and that could be for companies too. Like the company I just went into that I'm leaving, I my end goal was to laterally transfer once a position opened up um, and, and do the certification necessary for that job role. But after talking to the coordinator for that job, when he explained to me what they're actually doing for the the job, I was like, oh, that's actually the opposite of what I want to do in my passion. So I actually didn't, you know, I was thinking like, I, I had my eyes set on this certain job position, and I didn't know what it meant until I got my foot in the door and actually asked the people. So I wish I would have done that and just like maybe made 
reached out to somebody and just asked him ahead of time before even taking up the job. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You can save yourself so much time and energy by asking people, what's it really like to have this job? Because yeah. sometimes 80% of the job is stuff we don't even know about. Yeah. And I just, I guess my hesitation was like, this guy has no idea who I am. He's not going to give me the time of day. Why would I reach out to him? But then once I had my foot in the door in the company, I emailed him. I, I got his email through the company and I emailed him and I was like, hey, can we sit down and talk about, you know, the people that are, that work under you? And when I sit down and talk to him, he's like, I'm about to break your heart, but this is not environmental conservation the way you think it is. <laughs> and so that's when I put in my two-week notice was the next day. I was like, okay, this is not the career path for me, you know? Yeah. Good for you for being decisive. Well, and I was like, I'm going to work my butt off. I want to make sure it's actually like what I thought it was, you know? And, and it turned out that it wasn't, even though it had environmental scientist in the name. It was not that, you know, it was completely opposite of what I got my degree in. So right. um, it would just be like taking on a role as an economist. It's like, okay, well, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you actually touch on something where titles these days are what they really mean is all over the place. Yeah. So like everything now is either you're an engineer or you're a technician. Yes. Don't forget to ask questions. That's an extremely important part of the interview. You always want to leave it with your questions. And it also, when when you're a student, that's a great time to be asking about things even before you apply. If you're if you're intrigued by something, just ask for a tour. Ask ask people what it's like to be in that role. When you're a student, people are so much more likely to respond to you and. It feels more, a lot of people feel more comfortable when they're in a student role because they're already learning. Then when people get into the professional world, sometimes they can be a bit hesitant to reach out. Although I do believe in a strategy to do that. So there is a strategy to do that. You know, it seems like you have an experience where there aren't that many regrets that you made. Like maybe once you got into the job, it was just kind of like this disillusion that you had with the job that you got into. But during college, was there anything that you did that you wish you would have done differently? Or do you think that everything you did was in the end worth it? Yeah, I think both. So I think everything worked out the way it should I could not have chosen to be a career coach at that time, even if I had heard that was a thing. I grown so much as a person, so it just makes sense that I've transitioned into something else. I've become more of who I really am. And I things that I would change are I wouldn't really change anything, but at the same time there's this there's the me I am today, and if I was the me I am today then, I would take more risks when it came to applying for things, talking to people, um, studying abroad, even if you're like me and perhaps your experience, if there were financial con constraints, I would just, I would just do the thing. I would just do the thing more than anything because it's so true. Studies show this and I think you may be able to relate. Let me know if you, if you can relate. But we, we regret the things we didn't do more than the things that we did do. That is something that has stuck with me. And so 
I know that sometimes like when I make decisions or if I say something and I'm just like, God, that was so stupid. Why did I say that? I'm so happy that I did because it I learned from it. I learned from the embarrassment. It made me a more informed person to be like, okay, well, I I really hated the way that made me felt. So I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure I don't do that again. But you would never know that until you did it or said it or until you ask the dumb question. You know what I mean? And like, I know some people say that there are no stupid questions. Sometimes there are questions that make you feel stupid. And, and those are questions that you can learn from. And sometimes they are very good questions. <laughs> yeah. And ask them in college before you ask them years into your career. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Don't ask them once you're like three years deep into your career and you're just sitting there with your hands on your head, staring at the screen saying, why am I doing this? <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. You have a lot of wisdom, Ariel. It's, it's very clear. I believe the same goes to you. <laughs> So what are your plans for Vancouver? I, I went there a couple years ago for my honeymoon. I loved the city. It's such a, like, a really cool city, and I love the weather there. Yeah. But do you plan on staying there long term, or is this just something you're going to stay for another five years and maybe uh, move around? Are you kind of like a career nomad in terms of geography? Yeah, so I have been traveling a bit. I'm actually in New York right now. Um, just seeing what it's like to live here for a few months. And it was an experiment to see, do I want to be a nomad? Um, do I want to stay in Vancouver? And I, through this experience, I'm just, I just know that I have to experiment before I make any decisions, try it out. And that's been something that I've shifted in more than ever. I'm so much more into just trying something out and seeing if it works for me, if it's really what I think it is, because we get bombarded with, when it comes to living abroad or being a nomad, we get bombarded with social media and things of lifestyle. And you really have to try it until you know it works for you. So I really want to deepen my, I want to deepen my relationships in Vancouver. I want it to be my base. That's what I think I know right now always open to learning more later but it's a great city it has a great quality of life and you get city you get gorgeous nature I mean I don't have to tell you this you went there for your honeymoon <laughs> yeah it was kind of an unconventional honeymoon site but you know I that's kind of me I really yeah. wanted to try poutine and I love clam chowder oh, that's so, so funny <laughs> Yeah, and you know, it's not the perfect city, and I don't think there is the perfect city. If that were ever to happen, then sure, I, I could live there. But I find that I like traveling, but having a base, and I think mm -hmm. Vancouver is, is uh, stepping up to be that base. What drew you originally to Vancouver? Was that just kind of by like a career choice that you made, or was that something that you consciously decided, like, I am going to Vancouver and I will make it work there? Yeah, it was definitely a conscious choice. It was for my career, for my lifestyle, for everything. And I didn't know if it would work. I just moved there with the intention of trying it out because I was thinking about it. I thought about it for a few years. And if I wasn't going to do it, I would always wonder what it would be like. So I did it. And I also met my current partner, who's incredible. And I can't imagine my life unfolding in any other way. 
And wait, did your partner go with you to New York or are they back in Vancouver? So they have a brick and mortar job most of the week. So they visit me here in New York. Oh, okay. Which is kind of cute. I don't feel like, um, I feel like a New Yorker now. (laughs) And my (laughs) boyfriend is visiting me, but he, he also loves the city. And so we're both based in Vancouver. I'm going back to Vancouver in a few weeks. And then I just, uh, this also was a way to get him to be a little bit more action-based and becoming remote because he wants to be remote. And uh, one way to do that is to travel and then send him pictures and make him want to be here. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the hardest thing about being like a nomad is like trying to figure out what of your like your physical items are important to you to where you can keep taking again and again and again, because it is a nightmare to move. But some people, they live their life where like they literally everything they own can be like shipped in a couple boxes and then a couple suitcases on a plane. You know what I mean? There's a part of me that admires that. That must be so exciting. The thing for I think the biggest thing for me is that I really love my friendships, my relationships in Vancouver, and I love deepening those. Even even the challenge in them is is helps me grow as a person. And I can't I can't imagine hopping around, meeting new people all the time, and never really going deep with them. You can have deep conversations, but there's something about really being there for someone consistently showing up for them and then showing up for you in your daily life that is really special to me well it was so fun talking to you I learned so much about you and I think your experience is really cool and do you have any like social media that you have that people can follow your coaching so I can follow your your growth so yes you can find me on instagram sophie Payne career coaching All right. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your weekend. Uh, Thank you so much for talking to me. Yeah. Well, thank you for being such a great host and making making me feel so welcome. Thank you for being so warm. And I really enjoyed our conversation too. And I don't know if there's anything else I want to add. I think, um, yeah, I just had such a great time chit-chatting with you.